Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I just recently read a study from the Barna Research Group talking about why teenagers are leaving their faith once they leave the house and no longer attending the church and many of them no longer even believing in a God, which is so crazy to think about and really, really tragic. One of the things that they talked about in that research was how they felt, these teenagers felt, that there wasn't enough room within the Christian faith, aka in their home, to really explore all these really tough questions in the Bible. It was just too black and white. Their parents said, this is the way it is, and you can't ask questions. There's no room for doubt. There's no area to ask really hard questions. And so it's important for us as dads to be able to create an environment in our house where hard questions are encouraged, where even doubt is okay to wrestle through. God can handle all of that. Today, I sit down with an Old Testament professor who recently wrote a book called God Behaving Badly. Is the God of the Old Testament angry, sexist, and racist? I guarantee you these will be questions that maybe you ask, but for sure your kids will likely ask in the future. And so I thought it'd be good to have a conversation with him about how do you approach this hard but necessary subject. I'm excited to get into that, but before we do, I want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's episode. Samaritan Ministries is a biblical solution to healthcare where hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation bear one another's medical burdens through prayer and financial support. It's not insurance and there are no network restrictions, which means you choose the doctors, treatments, and hospitals that are right for you. Medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help pay those bills. It's affordable with a sharing program that could fit your budget and you can join today. Samaritan Ministries is always there to help you choose a quality healthcare provider, to price medical procedures, and 24-7 access to medical professionals by phone or email to get medical advice before you visit the doctor, which is going to save you time and money. When you think about Samaritan Ministries, you think about the verse in Galatians 6.2, which says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you'd like to learn more about this amazing community, you can go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Well, David, when I saw your book, God Behaving Badly, first, wonderful eye-catching title, by the way. And so that's very, I wrote a book called Stop Behaving. And I think uh, that, you know, it's kind of got a similar similar style to it. I was really intrigued by the title because there are essentially what we're trying to do at Dad Tired is help guys know who God is and then help those same guys to teach their family to know who God is. So know God and make God known to their family. And really, we kind of put that all under the umbrella of spiritual leadership. What does it look like for us as men to try to lead our homes, first with us falling in love with Jesus and then teaching our families how to love Jesus? And what's interesting is for a guy who's like, I imagine there are a lot of guys who listen to our podcast and like, all right, I feel like I should get into God's word. In fact, sometimes they'll even meet up with each other and study God's word, which is really cool. But you read and a lot of guys will start flipping through. Maybe they'll start in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're like, all right, I'm starting to get a better understanding of who Jesus is. And I think I understand a little bit more of what it looks like to be his follower. And then they'll go back and like, let's read the whole Bible in a year, really enthusiastically. <laughs> and so we'll get guys who are like, you know, let's read the Bible in a year together. You start getting into Genesis, Exodus, you start making your way through the Old Testament. You're like, holy moly, this God feels a little bit different than the God I started with in the New Testament. And for many guys, it can be really hard personally to reconcile, like, are we talking about two different gods here? 
And so you wrote a whole book on that. So I'll just stop blabbering. And I'd love to hear like, what was your thoughts on writing a book like this and, and why'd you do it? Yeah. Thanks, Jared. I love the Bible. Actually, it was, but my love of the Bible was given to me by my parents, mm. probably more so my mother than my father, which I'm guessing for, you know, those of us that grew up going to church in Sunday school, it might be, I may not be unique in that regard, Yeah, but I've always been attracted to the parts of the Bible that are less familiar. So I was in campus ministry with InterVarsity for, well, on staff for 15 years, but I always gravitated towards the Old Testament hmm. because it was just less familiar. And it's hard to think of writing about like writing about like John 3.16, right? Because it feels like everything that needs to be said about John 3.16 has been said about John But a lot of commentary on it, yeah. Yeah. But when it gets to the Old Testament, people are just a lot less familiar with it. And because of some of the things that you just said, Jared, that people are, they're confused about God's behavior. They, um, you know, the violence, sometimes, sometimes it seems like he's sexist or racist or it just doesn't make sense to us. And that just piqued my curiosity. Hmm. And so when I had a choice of, when I was going into grad school, I had a choice of deciding whether I wanted to focus on the old or the new. Now I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. I could study Jesus all day. But again, similarly with the old Testament, there's just so much weird stuff. And I was just so curious about it. Yeah. So that's what drew me into the old Testament. And then I realized that, you know, as I talked about the old Testament, I started getting, you know, I spoke on college campuses. I mean, I was in campus ministry for a while and people just had a lot of questions about the God of the old Testament. And I thought, this is something that people need help with. And then there was, um, Shortly before God Behaving Badly came out, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens wrote some books. These are sometimes people call these guys the uh, the new atheists. And they, well, particularly Richard Dawkins has a quote where he says, the God of the Old Testament is all these things, misogynistic, racist. And I thought, I need to talk about this. Hmm. And so that's kind of what prompted me to write this book. Yeah. Maybe let's just tackle some of those. What's even interesting about us having this conversation on the dad tired podcast is there can be pushback when I say things like men leading their family well, because there can be women who say, well, why can't a woman lead the family well? And this just further proves that God is sexist and it's all about men. And, you know, this just, I always thought that God was sexist. I read about it in the old Testament. And now, you know, here we are, men are in charge. You know, what's interesting about that though, even as I say that is I've actually only had that conversation one time in six years come up. So it surprised me how little that conversation comes up. Cause I think actually a lot of women really do love when men step up and lead in a healthy, humble way. I think women actually really appreciate that. And it's not toxic leadership, but that being said, maybe let's just tackle that first one. Is God sexist? Cause you read, maybe let's go from the devil's advocate side, you know, no pun intended there, but from the opposite side. Why would somebody make that argument? What portions of the Old Testament would somebody point to to say, seems like God is a little bit sexist here? And then conversely, what do we know to be true about God? Or is it true that God is sexist? Yeah. And again, whenever somebody asks me a question about problematic bits of the Bible or, you know, is God sexist or something like that? One of the first things I try to do for people is I try to validate the question. I want to be able to communicate to people that, Asking questions is a good thing. In religion and our churches, I don't think we often we don't often enough give people opportunities to ask questions. So 
the first thing when someone asks me that question is I want to affirm them, validate the question. And I say, yeah, I get this question a lot. It's understandable. I think I can see why some people might think that way. I don't want to make people feel bad or stupid. And I think sometimes we can be a little insecure about defending God. That comes from a good impetus, a good desire. But on some level, I I do need to say God's doing okay on his own. Now we still need to honor and glorify him and support him. And, you know, that's kind of what I'm trying to do in this book, but if I could just say some add on to that, I think that's really well said. And I think that's true for our kids too. When our kids come with questions, sometimes in our parenting, our defense is like, oh, we need to defend God or else my kid's going to fall away from the Lord. And so I think even what you just said might be helpful for dads who's like, okay, it's okay for it to feel the question. And he would say, that's a good question. That's, yeah. that's tough. And, Let's wrestle through it. And I think you know this has been said a lot, but it, it probably needs to be said more. Jesus often responded to a question with a question. Yeah. You know, he responded with a question or, and then maybe a story. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to be a little bit quicker to ask questions. And the dads out there, yeah, when your children are asking questions, your sons and daughters, um, really affirm that and bless them. And then maybe ask them a question, help them, lead them to what you think might be this a good direction. Or even better, try to take them into God's word. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, let's look at this together. And I think when it comes to the, is God sexist, there's, there's a lot of places. Unfortunately, there's a lot of places we can go with this. I think there can be a perception that, well, it was the woman, Eve, who, you know, first ate the, probably wasn't an apple, the fruit in the garden. Right. And, you know, and Paul says something like that through one, um, you know, that Eve ate first, basically. And I think that, you know, that's one place the, the view of women often in the Old Testament, it seemed like that wives were like property. There were a lot of, well, patriarchs who had multiple wives. You know, I actually wrote another book about that, Prostitutes and Polygamists, mm. a look at level Old Testament style. But And then, you know, there's laws that like Deuteronomy 22 says the woman who has been raped is supposed to marry her rapist. Mm. And that just sounds horrible. Yeah, uh, into our context today, and I think there's a lot more that we could said, but we, we'd fill up the hour of time. So I think the thing that what I try to do is I try to get people into scripture, and I try to um, help people understand the context. I mean, if we take the Deuteronomy 22 rape law, again, that law doesn't make any sense to us. This woman who has been raped needs to marry a rapist, but in that context, it actually made a lot more sense because once a woman has well, a woman that has been defiled, if you will, it would be very hard for her to marry. Mm. And most women in this situation would not marry and would probably either become destitute or a prostitute. And so this law is actually designed to provide for her because a woman who has been raped and then marries a rapist, he can't divorce her. So she would have lifetime financial security in a way that her friends that hadn't gone through a similar tragic experience would not have. Hmm. And then the story I like to talk about is the story of Amnon. These are two of David's children, Amnon and Tamar. It's found in 2 Samuel 13, where Tamar was, David's daughter was very attractive and her half brother, Amnon, was very attracted to her, ended up trying to seduce her. She said, no, he ends up having sex with her, raping her. 
tragedy, really mm. just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. But then after this act, he is repulsed by her and tries to kick her out. You know, this is the shocking thing to me. She says, don't do this. Basically, let me stay. And with the implication that they would get married. And then she says, it would be more evil to kick me out than the evil that you've already done. So yeah. in her eyes, the Deuteronomy 22 rape law made a lot of sense because it gave her provision. Wow. And um, as it turned out, he didn't keep her as his wife. And then Tamar never marries. Now, she mm. just happened to be the daughter of a, of a king. So she was provided for. But as we look at the context, both the ancient context and the biblical context, some of these laws that just don't make any sense to us at all or seem like God is sexist are actually ways that God is kind of looking out and trying to protect women. The thing I tell people is the first chapter of the Bible tells us that women are made in the image of God. And I cannot think of something more positive to say about women, that they are created in the image of God. And then just look at how Jesus treats women in the Gospels. It's amazing. <laughs> A lot of places, you look at these stories where the disciples are kind of confused. And then there's like the Syrophoenician woman or um, the woman that anoints his feet, or the women um, at the grave. There, it's A lot of times it's these women that kind of know what's going on, and the men are kind of confused. Right. So we, we got to keep reading all the Bible. And you know, there's more that could be said. But I think as we read the Bible and look at the context, we see that God is amazingly affirming of not just men, but women as well. Yeah. How do you, from kind of a broad stroke, how you just described and painted the picture of Jesus is really like, we understand that we get that we see it so clearly. If you're having a short conversation, maybe you were with a college student who all of our kids are going to soon be that age and be rightly curious and ask good, hard questions. I guess from a broad stroke, how do you reconcile? Like, what do you just say from a high level perspective about who the God of the old Testament is and who we see in Jesus that we know are one and the same, but how do you reconcile that? Yeah, we need to remember, as you said, <laughs> the God of the Bible is one. Now, again, we could talk a long time about what is the, the nature of the Trinity, God the Father, uh, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I mean, the whole idea of the Trinity is they are one. And as we see what Jesus is like and how he loves and values and respects men and women, particularly women and men who are you know, marginalized, at least on some level, shockingly affirming of all of these folks. We see snippets of that in the Old Testament as well. I mean, the, the thing I like to, I, I start off the book and say, how do we reconcile the loving God of the Old Testament with the harsh God of the New Testament? And most people have heard the question and burned, yeah. you know, wait a minute, that's not how the question goes. Yeah. But, you know, the God of the Old Testament is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, which is actually exactly the same as Jesus. And Jesus himself says, you know, I and the Father are one. So as we think about how Jesus treats women and how, as we see how God treats women throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we have to be kind of remembering this is the character of God. And there are places in the Bible that may not make sense to us, but we keep struggling with them and thinking about them. And we need to be remembering that what we see in Jesus is the same as the God we see in the old Testament. Yeah. Let's, what about the, you know, you hear a lot of verses in the, in the new Testament about Jesus being the lamb and he's really humble and he can come across really meek at times. He's a servant, turn the other cheek, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. And then in the old Testament, 
you see a God wiping out entire groups of people. And so how do you reconcile that? I guess the question directly would be, you know, it seems like God's really violent. He's just all about violence in the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. And this is a hard question. I think this is maybe the, the hardest question I have. I struggle with the most personally, just to be quite honest, you know, and I think part of it is we have to go to the context and just say in the ancient Near East, it was violent times and the Israelites were people that were oppressed by both the Egyptians for centuries in Egypt um, as, as slaves. And then they were just trying to get a land, and the, the promised land as they moved into Canaan. And God was fighting battles for them in a way that they wouldn't have been able to gotten, get into the promised land if God hadn't been doing this. And I think as we think about God, God of the Old Testament, the violent God of the Old Testament versus the peaceful God, Jesus we encounter in the New Testament, I think we need to remember, well, Jesus isn't as <laughs> peaceful and humble as we sometimes think. He was always confronting religious leaders. Most famously, he overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple and you know whipped people with a, a scourge of cords. And I don't know if he actually, maybe he was just cracking a whip in the in, in you know in, in John 2 and the, the other gospels where he talks about this. But to think of Jesus as kind of meek. He was meek and mild, but that's not all of who he was. Right. And when he encountered religious hypocrisy or injustice, he went ballistic. He was a man of emotion. And, you know, I talk a lot about this, the, the anger of God. Yeah. And I think the same anger that we see in Jesus in the New Testament, we see in the Old Testament as well. And God will judge people for their actions. And I think we, we, we definitely see that in the Old Testament when we look at Jesus, as we look at how Yahweh, the, the name of God in the Old Testament, how he treats people and, and even holds his own people to judgment. And he will punish his own people when they do not act in the way that he expects of them. And he's kind of clearly laid out for them in the law. So it's a lot more we could say, but maybe that's a start. For someone who loves the scriptures and you've studied them at length and you have a, to the best that you can have a full picture of who God is from both old and new Testament for you personally, David, like what conclusions do you make about the character of God specifically in this regard? Like to the, I don't know if, you know, violence isn't the right word, but just his disposition, like is when we see God in flesh and Jesus, when we see Yahweh in the old Testament, when you combine all that data and, and you were described, like, who is God? Is he really gentle, pet and sheep? Is he a warrior? Is he both? What, what conclusions have you made about him? Yeah. And I think we may feel more comfortable with the Jesus meek and mild, but, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm, we love Psalm 23. But when you're an Israelite and the Red Sea is in front of you and the greatest military force that the world has known thus far is coming at you with chariots and you have no chariots and you're, you're slaves. You've been slaves for hundreds of years. You're not soldiers. And you think we are going to get wiped out if our God doesn't intervene for us. Yeah. And he does by parting the Red Sea and drowning this army that wanted to kill them. Look at how they respond. And, you know, it seems a little comical to us. If we read Exodus 15, they sing a song about how great their God is. A horse and rider, he was thrown into the sea. 
But they are singing that because they are so happy that their God delivered them from sudden death. Yeah. And I think that because God is compassionate, he does intervene and judge people and protect people from further violence. And again, the Israelites at this point, the Israelites are the victims, right? They've been slaves for hundreds of years. They're not warriors. Now, over time, they become the people who are the powers in Palestine and the promised land. But at this point in time, that's definitely not who they are. And so God steps in because he's willing to, because of compassion, protect people, his own people, and, and punish the, the, the Egyptians. And so God's character is one of both violence and peace in different times, in different places. And Jesus is the same way. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, is the same way as well. So I think we need to keep this in mind. We have to look at the context, and we need to be careful about making overly simplistic conclusions about, well, the God of the Old Testament is just violent all the time. No, the God of the Old Testament tells us to love God and love our neighbor, right? When Jesus told the religious leader that approached him, he's quoting the Old Testament, love your neighbor. So that's all part of who God is. It's really fascinating because when you think about a guy who is trying to emulate the character of God, I'm trying to allow the Holy Spirit to shape me so that I am a deeper and more accurate reflection of the God that I serve. That as a servant, I would start to look more like the king as a disciple of his. And so I think for a lot of us as men, especially men that I'm talking about here, as when we think about conforming our image to become more like Christ, to allowing the broken parts of us to be shaped and renewed to become more like Christ. I think that can often feel like subconsciously, well, I should just become more gentle. And in some ways that may be, or probably should be true. For a lot of men, we do need to become more gentle just as Christ and and Yahweh of the Old Testament was gentle. But I think we have a hard time picturing what does it look like to be both like that warrior and defender to stand up for righteousness sake, you know, and even like, what do we do with our angry? Cause I know I feel mad when my two-year-old smashes my laptop. That's a true story. She just did that recently. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Uh, so, you know, I know what it feels like to feel anger, but it feels so not righteous. Right. And so we really have a hard time. Like I want to become more like Christ, but I just feel like that just means I'm just supposed to be really like gentle and kind of quiet. And, but like, when I hear you talk about that, God of the old Testament, God of new Testament, it feels like he's and we've used this term on the, the podcast before, but both like lion and lamb, you know? And so I guess from your perspective, I, I don't know, I'm not really forming a good question here, but I think you get what I'm saying. Like as a man who's trying to become more like Christ and be, reflect the image of God, what does it mean to hold both of those personally? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, you're talking to a guy that has lamb as a part of his name and I'm resigned to it. But when I was young and, you know, was still kind of working out what it meant to be a boy and a male and, you know, trying to become more macho and trying not to be as emotional and not crying as much, it was problematic. You know, it's like Mm. lamb. Okay, I'd rather (laughs) one of my best friends in college and high school was a guy named Eric Wolf. And, you know, it's like, I want to be a wolf, not a lamb, right? That. So I think, I mean, every guy is going to be different. Every father is going to be different. I think as we think about this, you know, there are probably some folks that do need to work really hard to be more gentle. And for m- many males, it's safer to get angry yeah. than it is to be sad. 
And so for a lot of, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for all dads out there, but anger is like our go-to emotion. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I got anger down. And, you know, maybe it was true for us with our dads or our grandfathers. I don't know. But <laughs> anger is kind of the go-to emotion that we feel comfortable with. And there is a time and a place for that. But I'm working on a book right now on the emotions of God. And so I've been thinking a lot about mm. God and God's emotions. And we need to be able to say, Jesus gets mad, gets angry about injustice. And as he does that, he is acting like the God of the Old Testament. <laughs> he is acting like God the Father. He is, he is consistent. And for followers of Jesus, not just dads, but for all of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to be able to say, when is it right for me to be angry? Yeah. Now, the reality is I usually get angry when someone insults me. Yeah. And that's natural. But do I get angry when someone else is insulted Mm. or when it seems like someone else is not getting what they might need or deserve or want or desire? And I think, how do I feel about the marginalized? How do I feel about people that the Bible talks a lot about widows and orphans and foreigners? So how do we feel like when people like that aren't getting their needs met? Does that make me mad? Now, we need to be careful just being mad doesn't necessarily solve the problem, but often the anger, we experience this anger, we're acting like God, the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. I think that's a good thing. It should lead us to take steps, like steps to somehow alleviate the problem or to help the people that have, well, like God did in in Exodus 2, when the people cried out to him, his own people cried out being slaves for hundreds of years. And he heard, he saw, he remembered, and then he called Moses. And so I think that that's part of what it means for me. Again, the talk, arguably, the big story of the Old Testament is the Exodus, right? It's how God delivers his people, um, because that's the God we serve and follow. And so I think that as we think about lion and lamb, during the last year and a half, COVID, and people have been alone and isolated, and I think it is, we need God to be our shepherd. Mm. And I think there's just a lot of people who are hurting. Yeah. And a lot of people that are struggling with mental illness. And I'm sure there's a lot of dads that are out there and they may not want to talk about it because, yeah. you know, there's kind of shame or stigma associated with that. That's where I think we do need to remember that Jesus is the good shepherd of John 10 or, and the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. We're a lamb and that's okay. And that's humbling. Again, I like to tell people, yeah, sheep are stupid, but lambs are quite highly intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's actually probably not true, but, um, (laughs) but it's, so it's humbling to think of ourselves as a stupid, helpless sheep or lamb. Yeah. That's an appropriate analogy. The one that we need to kind of grasp if we are going to follow the good shepherd, but because he is a good shepherd, he realizes there are wolves out there sometimes mm-hmm. and you can't just be polite to the wolf yeah. because the wolf wants to attack the sheep and rip their throats out mm. and consume their flesh, right? That's what wolves do. And so sometimes the shepherd to be a good shepherd means he has to act strong, violent, and to protect his sheep. And I think God throughout the Bible, both old Testament and new Testament, models that for us. I love that distinction because I think you're right that, that there's, there's a, what I often tie anger to 
and, and what I think you just said was so accurate is usually about me and my own ego. So when, when I heard you say that, I thought when I'm most angry, it's usually attached to my ego. You have hurt my ego in some way, and now I become angry. And that isn't really a righteous anger. <laughs> that's a very selfish anger. So that's helpful. I, I think for the listener, just asking yourself, okay, think about all the last five times you've been angry. If you can think back to those, were they ego centered or were they a righteous anger? And then I thought as you were just kind of wrapping up that last thought, I was thinking, okay, for me as somebody who's trying to protect my family and to lead my family, I want to protect them from anything that could destroy them. And so some of that might be physical, but oftentimes that's like the least of the, the, the case, right? Like very rarely I've yet to have somebody break into my home and try to hurt my family. If it comes to that, I want to protect them and I want to be the protector of my family. But I also want to protect them from the dangers of sin, both in my own life and in their life, in my wife's life, in my children's life. And so I am ferocious in the same way that Jesus would be ferocious in protecting his sheep. I want to be ferocious in protecting my family from the dangers, the very real dangers of sin that want to destroy them and want to destroy our family. And so those are some just, you know, kind of when I'm thinking through lion and lamb, I'm just, I want to be a protector, but I also want to be a servant. You know, I'm changing diapers and I'm doing dishes and I'm giving leftovers or whatever. I really want to eat that last thing, but I'm going to give it to my kids, my, my wife first. I'm constantly just looking for every way, both small and big to serve my family. But then there's also times where I want to defend them. And I, and I, I think for us as men being holistic, comprehensive men, we think bigger than just physically protecting our family. But we really want to think through, you know, what does it look like to protect them from everything that wants to destroy them, including sin? I'm really fascinated by this book that you're working on about emotions. And one thing that is fascinating to me, I wish my wife were sitting right here. She's outside of this door helping keep the kids from screaming so they can't, you can't hear it in this microphone. But so I am the more emotional one in our marriage. I carry more of the emotions on my sleeve. My wife is an emotional rock. And it's so frustrating. And we talk about this a million times, but she can like take her emotions and set them aside and then look at them objectively, which just makes me all the more frustrated in the midst of my emotions. You know, she doesn't feel them. She's just like, okay, I'm feeling this. Let's set it here and let's just uh, let's talk about it. But one thing that she has really struggled with from our entire marriage is emotions to her have always equated out of control. If you're being led by your emotions or you're emotional, you are out of control. You are no longer thinking logically. You're no longer being reasonable. You're just out of control. It's not good to be led by your emotions. I once had a mentor who was talking to her and saying, but how do you reconcile God's emotions? Because God is emotional. He is the creator of emotions. And she's just like, I don't know. I can't like, I can't reconcile that. It's really hard for me to picture God who is very like the most logical also being emotional. So how do you like reconcile those? Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as you're thinking about writing this book. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's really interesting. And again, I don't want to be overly stereotypical, but I think often I'm a very emotional person. My wife is very emotional too. And we have different sort of ways of expressing mm. it. But I think how you described you and your wife, a lot of people might say stereotypically, it's kind of flipped. Oh yeah. We're the opposite, man. Whenever we do marriage counseling, she's, you know, the guys are relating with her and the girls relate with me. It's, you know, okay. It's so, yes. but I appreciate your honesty about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. I, mean, I do think the first thing is we need to talk about emotions. I mean, counselors are doing this a lot. Hopefully we all know that it's healthy, but I think one of the things that I see in the Bible is God talks about God of the old Testament talks about his emotions. Jesus in the New Testament talks about his emotions. 
And the Bible talks very freely about God being emotional. So I'm looking at the hatred of God. And that's hard. And we could talk more about that. The anger of God, obviously we talked about that a little bit. The jealousy of God, Mm -hmm. the sorrow of God, the joy of God, the compassion of God, and then the love of God. The problem with the love of God is there's just almost too much that's been said. But I think it's not uncommon for people to think emotions are out of control. They need to be confined and restricted. and, And that makes a lot of sense. But I do just think part of how we control them is we talk about them. Um, one of the things I love in, in just very early in Genesis, Genesis 6, God basically, and it's in quotes, we don't know who God's talking to. He says, you know, I'm sorry that I made the humans. This is right before he's talking to Noah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, and he was, he was grieved to the heart that the text says that. And then God himself says this. Who is he talking to? I don't know, but he's talking to somebody. It's like he's processing his emotions. Hmm. And then, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus does the same thing with the disciples. I'm sorry. I am grieved. And he's talking through his emotions. And then there's the obvious shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Yeah. And Jesus didn't kind of weep in private. But he wept publicly, and in John 11, where Jesus wept at basically the, the death of his, his friend Lazarus before, in the middle of his interaction with Mary and Martha. But the people around him see Jesus is weeping, and they say, see how he loved him. And I think part of our anti-emotionalism is it feels irrational, mm-hmm. and it can be, I think, very Western. And if we think about this philosophically, it comes from sort of the enlightenment where reason is the reason is what we, that's what we strive towards. Yeah. Emotion is what we must control. And I think that's not the perspective that we want. (laughs) That's not the perspective that the Bible has. The emotions, emotions need to be channeled. And they need to, you know, it's a little bit like the tongue, you know, um, James talks about the, the tongue and the power of the tongue. We need to be able to well, control them on some level, but also to be able to channel, not just controlling to the extent that we stifle, that we quench them, but that we can channel them into appropriate directions. Like when Jesus, you know, used his emotions in the temple to get people's attention because emotion does get people's attention. Yeah. <laughs> and they let's, let's just be overly stereotypical. I think men can manipulate with outbursts of anger. Yeah. Stereotypically. And I think all men and women can do the same. And likewise, you know, maybe you could think women might more stereotypically might become emotional with, can be somewhat mo- uh, manipulative by, you know, use of sorrow or tears or things like that. Now, again, both of these can be flipped. You can have yeah. angry women, certainly. And <laughs> I will confess that it's not hard for me to cry. Mm. And there are times that I feel like I've kind of worked it up a little bit mm. in a public situation in a way that was probably kind of bordered on emotional. Mm. And so, again, but the, the reality is the Bible talks about God as emotional. And that's not something the Bible's embarrassed about. That's not something that God is embarrassed about. And I think if we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, talked about the Bible and God's emotions more regularly, 
what we would experience is people would find that it's healthier because, you know, the, we, we don't need to, the counselors will tell you processing emotions is going to help you. I think the Bible is aware of that and has been trying to help us do this thousands of years before, um, you know, the counselors have been sort of talking about this, but I do think it's sort of a, an artifact of the enlightenment that we need to, to overcome and just there's emotions all over the Bible. And I just think we need to talk about it a little bit more. Well, not to oversimplify, but if you could do a chapter summary, you know, for the guy who's listening and he has a really hard time showing any emotion. He's like, I got one emotion and it's usually anger or frustration (laughs) or, and I don't know how to show the rest of my emotions. And my wife really would love for me to show my emotions. What's your chapter summary for that guy from a biblical perspective? One, I think we all experience emotions, Mm -hmm. but we haven't, for one reason or another, haven't seen how emotions are good or healthy or safe. And I think hopefully, let's say you have a dad that's like, yeah, I'm good with anger, you know, (laughs) but that's about it. They do say that anger is a secondary emotion, right? There's usually something behind it. And I think that's pretty valid that if, as Jared, I appreciate your honesty about your own anger experiences, somehow we feel insulted or belittled, or someone is not taking us seriously, or someone's not listening to us, all of these things. I think to be able to just one, be aware that you have emotions yeah, and that emotions, God gave us emotions and God is emotional. Yeah. I think just having that acknowledgement and that the Bible talks about them, look for them in the Bible. And as you see how Jesus is grieved at the heart, you know, they, they bring a man who's sick and they're testing Jesus to see if he's going to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is grieved at their hardness of heart. Just notice how emotional Jesus is. Hmm. And I think what we see is if Jesus can be emotional and I'm his follower, maybe it's okay for me to be emotional too. And that's a way that I can be leading my families into, again, I think to have healthy dads who are aware that they have emotions and have a variety of them, (laughs) we're not just sort of one trick ponies. It's anger, but (laughs) we we can feel sad. Yeah, we can be delighted. Mm-hmm. We can be silly, and so all of these and compassion that we can be modeling emotions in our families, and looking at how does Jesus display emotions? How can I learn about this? Maybe I need to talk about it. Maybe I talk about it with my spouse. Maybe I talk about it with my children, but and just look for it in the Bible. Talk about it more, and just realize you are emotional, and that's okay. And then maybe even look for people that you know, Mm. other males, other fathers that can model healthy emotional expressions and uh, try to learn from them. That's really good. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this interview. Just want to take a quick minute to remind you that we have a brand new community for all the listeners of the Dad Tired Podcast. So if you want to meet other guys near you, be held accountable, be pushed to be more like Jesus, this is a really cool app to help you do that and meet other like-minded guys. The cool part is, is it's not on social media, so there's no political talk, no ads, nothing inappropriate, no censoring, just a bunch of guys who are being real and trying to help each other be the men God's calling them to be. If you want to be part of that, we would love to have you come be part of that. You can do that by going to connect.dadtired.com. Again, that's connect dadtired.com. You can pull out your phone right now, download the app and immediately get started on conversation. You can even talk about this episode as you dive in. There are a lot of guys already over there talking about it right now. Again, go to connect.dadtired.com. We'll see you over there. 
we talk in our family leadership program, we have a, something called our family leadership program. And one of the sections is we talk about guys trying to figure out how to express their emotions. And we just give them really simple words to put vocabulary to that. Do I feel happy, mad, sad, or a frad? We did that just to rhyme here. but And that's really helpful for guys to just be like, okay, I agree completely with what you said that everyone's emotional. I really believe that everyone's got emotions. We just, some are better at suppressing it, not showing it than others. Some of us wear it on our sleeves like myself. And so I think that it's okay to just give yourself permission. If for anyone that's saying, well, I'm not emotional, maybe just change that verbiage and just say, I'm emotional. I just, I'm, I'm learning how to express it better. That's good. That's and, good. And so any, for any guy that's listening, that might be helpful for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm okay saying I'm an emotional person because you are, but just learning how to express it. And then maybe just ask yourself, do I feel happy, mad? sad or frat, what even just in your marriage relationship or in your parenting, man, if you just could say one of those words, like you will go from somebody who's emotional, who's learning how to not be unreasonable, but still feel fully and balancing those two. One thing I can say is like, if you can speak to your partner and say, I'm feeling this right now, yeah, that's good. man, you'll take leaps and bounds in your relationship. Yep. Just literally saying the words, I'm feeling really frustrated right now, or I feel really sad right now, or I feel really scared. For a man to say to his wife or to his kids, you know what? I feel really scared today. If you don't say that, if you feel like you're not an emotional person and you just use that one sentence, you're going to jump leaps and bounds in like your emotional maturity. So that would well be done. My- no, I think that's fantastic. I think that's just really healthy. And it's because you can be modeling things for your kids. And again, Stereotypically, I think women can be better at this. It's not as problematic for women to talk about emotions, but depending upon what generation, again, I'm a little bit of an older generation than, than you, Jared. My kids are in their 20s, but particularly like people like my, my father-in-law hmm. and my, my father as well, that just talking about emotions just didn't happen much. Yeah. And so what we are doing though, is we are modeling healthy emotional behavior that's just going to, it's going to put our kids, our children in, in a great place. And I think it will strengthen our marriages. And we all respect that guy, right? Even though, because yeah. the thing that stops us is we've like, oh, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to come across weak or whatever. I've never really seen anybody process. They seem out of control, yep. but all of us have seen a leader, a strong leader who can express their emotions and not be out of control at the same time. It's rare, but we've seen it and we respect that guy. It's like, oh man, that guy seems like he's really sad or he said he's really sad and yet he doesn't seem out of control. He seems strong still. Those are respectable things. So I, I think that you know it's we haven't had a lot of models for it, but I do think it's so healthy for us to get to as men. Yeah, again, the thing I love to say is when Jesus was on the cross, he was about to die. This was the climax, the apex perhaps of all of history. He hmm. expressed an emotion and in a question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was feeling abandoned, forsaken, hmm. and he expresses that emotion honestly, in a form of a question that the gospel writers include, Jesus was being emotional there. Mm. And the gospel writers said, this we need to record. Yeah, and I think, interesting. I mean, it's, it's a little bit like what you said. I feel scared. Yeah. You know, I feel abandoned. That's what he is saying. He modeled that behavior to his father. Mm. And to me, that's shocking. And I think I want to be more like Jesus yeah. in that regard. Yeah. That's really good. I, I don't need to even add to that. I think that's that's really well said. It's a very interesting insight. You know, as we wrap up here, there's a lot of guys who really do want to get into God's word more. 
and they're trying hard. This is a whole nother topic and we probably don't have time to go down this tangent. I just am convinced. I always say on this podcast, I try not to over-spiritualize things. I also don't want to under-spiritualize things, but there does seem that there is something spiritual about trying to dig into God's word. Like there's just a roadblock for so many guys that they got all the motivation in the world, but to actually sit down and to be transformed by the word of God feels like just a massive roadblock for a lot of guys. And so for those guys who are like, man, I want to get into God's word more. I want to study God's word more. I want to be shaped by the word of God. And then they crack open the Bible and they read one of these verses is like, oh my gosh, this is really, <laughs> this is, yeah. this is hard. I guess, what would your advice be to a man who, who wants to get into God's word more, but feels a little bit intimidated? Yeah, I think that's not uncommon, tragically, very uh, it's pervasive. One of the things I tell people is it's great that you want to get into God's word. And I think that that is something that God has given you now again. Okay. Just because you want it does, and it, it's not happening, but don't focus on the fact that it's not happening yet because it will happen. And, you know, most of these dads, particularly if they're young dads, you've got decades, mm. decades to get to know God's word better. Mm. So it's like, oh, I want to run a marathon. I'm going to go out and run 26 miles today. It's, like, yeah. it's not going to happen. You know, you're, you got a little bit of a, I don't know, a gut. It's hanging over your belt. Oh, yeah. You know? oh, it's yeah. like, forget you're preaching. about it. Yeah, you're preaching. What you want to do is you want to go on a, you know, I'm going to go on a 15 minute walk today. Yeah. Similarly, the fact that you want to read God's word is a good thing. To start, what's your favorite part of the Bible? And just mm. read that again. Mm. It's like, I don't know. We're supposed to eat more vegetables. Yeah, but, you know, and raw vegetables are probably healthy, but, you know, maybe sometimes it's okay to have a little butter on your vegetables, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. You know, and that's okay. But if you like the gospels or if you like Romans or you like Revelation, or maybe you like the Psalms, focus for a while on the parts you love and just go deep there. And that's okay. Don't eat, you know, whatever. Oh, but I really should eat more raw vegetables. Yeah. Okay. Maybe eventually, but you don't, you don't need to start there. Start with the parts you like. Yeah. The other thing I tell people is if you can read the Bible in a year, that's fantastic. But that's a high bar. I'm an Old Testament scholar. I'm a Bible scholar. I don't like to use that term, but I'll use it here. Just I don't read through the Bible in a year. Mm. That's too much. Mm. That's like, I don't know, four, five, six verses, uh, chapters a day. Again, for me, I think there may be people out there that they are made to read through the Bible in a year. Yeah. If you can do it more power to you. Well done. Praise God. But for the rest of us, we feel like oh, I'm supposed to read through the Bible in a year. And then I just feel bad. You know, yeah, you get two days but, in, you're behind. You're like, oh, geez, I shouldn't. Okay. Read I made it to Genesis four <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to quit. Yeah. No, we don't even make it to Leviticus. Right? Yeah. We make it to Genesis four. No, my goal is to read through the Bible in like three or four years. Mm. So I read through the Bible, but you know what? You know, I'm almost 60. But I think I'm going to probably read through the Bible another four or five times in my life. Hmm. But I started doing this like 15 years ago. Do you have a plan that, do you have a plan that you go through or you just, yeah, yeah. I, I, what I've done, I I I can, I can, it's, I've just got an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, got every book in the Bible there. And then what I do is um, I jump around, but I just, when I finish Psalms and I've divided the Psalms into three bits, chapters one to 50, 51 to to 100 and 101 to 150. But I just write, oh, I finished Psalm 101 to 150 in August of 2021. 
And and then I read, went to Song of Songs, which is mm. always a little bit crazy. And then now I'm now I'm in Isaiah right now, and I'm going to go to um, probably Luke next. So I just jump around the Bible. It's just I take an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper, I fold it over, and it's in my Bible. So I, I do that. But I'm going to read it over the course of um, maybe three or four years. And you know what? If I don't read the Bible you know, for three days in a row or while I'm on vacation or maybe on a weekend or when I'm sick, I said, that's okay. Because hmm. I'm not in a rush. But if I need to finish my, my Bible yeah. reading in a year, you miss a couple days. And now instead of having to read five, six chapters, you're reading 15 to 20 chapters. And how much are you going to take in when you're reading 15 to 20 yeah. chapters? You're just yeah. skimming. It starts to feel like homework and you're behind on your assignment. Yeah, and, it it yeah. needs to not be drudgery. Yeah, I actually exercise pretty regularly and I love it. Mm -hmm. I did it just because it's like, you know, it's going to help me sleep better. Yeah. Oh, it's going to make me feel better. You know, it's going to help me lose a couple pounds. And at this point in time, I love it. And this is actually, I, I read my Bible often when I'm exercising in the morning. Hmm. And I just, if I'm reading a Psalm and I'm in the basement, I'll just yell out because nobody else is around, you know, hallelujah, praise hmm. the Lord or something. Hmm. Sometimes I read out loud. I like to read on my back deck, but half fun. So start with places that you, you really enjoy. Don't feel bad when you, you skip a day and maybe go a little slower. I think it's better to read. If you can read a chapter a day, that's fantastic. And that'll yeah. take 10 or 15 minutes. People can do 10 or 15 minutes reading five or six chapters for most people, unless they're retired, it's probably going to be hard. Yeah. Better to go deep than go wide, you know, and, and, and just like the exercise thing, I've been trying to get rid of this dad bod. I've been exercising every day and you feel it, man. You, it's, it's amazing how much you just like it, you know, it's not necessarily, I don't think it's a necessarily a spiritual battle to get out there and to do some reps or whatever, but you get out there and then you're done. You're like, man, that was worth it. That felt really yeah. good. I feel better yeah. all day. I'm so glad I did that. And same with the scripture, you know, you yeah. it's everything in you to just sit down and read a chapter and you read and you're like, man, that actually felt like I took a glass of yeah. water to my weary soul. And yeah. that was really helpful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, man, I think, yeah. Can we, can you take a picture or if you have it in PDF yeah, form or I'll, something, can I'll, you send send, that to I'll send it to you and, and you can figure out a way to do it. I just, it's, and I'm happy to share it. It's just got all the books, the Bible written down and I've got a bunch of grids and you can just, I I, whatever. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's higher tech ways to do it. Um, guys will love I, it. No, guys will yeah, love it. Yeah, I, I think it's just, it's pretty simple and it's, it's, I'm kind of a low tech. I mean, actually, I'm not that low tech, but in this case, I'm being very low tech. And, you know, if you're struggling with motivation, just say, God help me. Mm -hmm. God help me. Mm -hmm. um, speak to me through your word. And, um, and I think God's going to answer that prayer. Last question here. Any advice for the dad who wants to teach his children to be lovers of God's word? You said you had kids in your, their 20s now. For those of us who have young kids, it's one thing for us to try to read through the Bible, but we also want our kids to learn and to love the scriptures. Any advice for those dads? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of great children's Bibles I think are really good. I mean, the problem with children's Bibles, and there are great ones, and you know, I think these are really good places for people to start. One of the problems with children's Bibles um, is they what do they include and what do they not include? Hmm. Um, often they just include the narratives, but they don't include things like Psalms and poetry, which is where we encounter some of the emotions, mm. which I find is kind of interesting. So we're, we're kind of missing out on some of the, the worship or the praise or mm. the joy. So, I mean, I, I would encourage you as much as possible to just, I don't know how old your kids are, but once they can start reading to actually 
just, you know, read a couple of verses straight from the Bible and then just say, what did you think about that? Do you have yeah. any questions? We got to be asking them questions and modeling, not only the discipline of asking questions and helping them get into it and figure it out for themselves to not, we're not going to be giving them prepackaged answers as I'm sure are the answers that we give them that are prepackaged will be phenomenal, <laughs> you know, but we want them to be thinking and reading on their own. So I just think it's hard not to love the gospels. And I think Jesus is so amazing. I, I'd want to get, I mean, I know I'm an, an old Testament person, but get people into the gospels. I love Paul, but sometimes Paul can be a little hard to follow, but the gospels, you know, get people into the gospels, get your kids into the gospels and just start asking them some really simple questions. You know, and there's a, one of the things about the gospels is, you know, you can often, you can divide sections into three to five to seven verses. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's a good, that's a good starting place. Yeah. One thing we've done so far is we, when their kids are really, really small. So I've got all the uh, 10 year old, all the way down to six months old. And one wow. thing we've done when, when they're really young, we just, we would like to read the Jesus storybook Bible to them or you know, kind of a retelling just to, for them to start to understand Jesus is all throughout the scriptures from the very beginning yeah, all the way through good. and really help that narrative begin to form. But we're reading to them. And I always tell young dads with really young kids, the, probably the greatest takeaway that's happening there is that daddy is reading scripture to them. They that's probably a- don't even remember what you're yeah. saying. They may or may not remember stories. If they do, that's awesome. But the biggest win here is that daddy is sitting you know, you got you're they're sitting on daddy's lap or next to him on bed or the couch, or whatever, and he's reading the word of God or the yeah, stories. That's, beautiful. Of God. that's so that's cool. Beautiful. So reading to them, and then as they get a little bit older, we're reading take right pictures, now. take pictures of that. Okay. Okay. I'm serious. Take yeah, pictures yeah. of that. You're gonna treasure that in 15 years. That's good. That's really helpful for me to remember in the midst of the chaos. <laughs> yeah. And then as they get a little bit older, we want to read with them. So there's some, you know, kind of, there's good resources where you're moving away from Jesus story Bibles and you're kind of getting into a little bit and you maybe let them read and you read, they read a verse, you read a verse, you're kind of processing with them. And then as like my son, who's getting 10, now it looks like, okay, here's son, here's a children's, like we have an ESV children's Bible. It's the word of God. It just has some, you know, explanations in there and stuff for. uh, Yeah, that's good. uh, And then he reads it. And maybe I'm at the table with him as he's reading it, but eventually I'd want him to be able to learn how to study the, the word of God on his own. So it's kind of like, I'm reading it to you. I'm reading it with you. And then I'm reading it that's like good. near you as you're studying it on your own. So yeah, that sounds fantastic. Well, I'll let you know in 15 years of my kids fall <laughs> away. <completely. laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, man, thank you so much, David. I appreciate you uh, taking some time, man. It's so fun to pick your brain on this kind of stuff. Highly recommend everyone go pick up your copy or your book leave some good reviews on Amazon as they dig through that. And uh, man, it's a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. It's been my pleasure, Jared. Um, God bless you and your ministry and bless all the dads out there as they're trying to bring blessings from God to their families. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that interview. If you want to keep the conversation going, make sure to go to connect dadtired.com. Again, there are tons of guys already who are on the app right now. They're talking about this episode, past episodes. They're reading books together. They're meeting locally. It's a really great way to meet like-minded guys without having to be on social media. No more distractions, no political talk, no ads, nothing inappropriate, no censoring, just a bunch of dudes who are trying to be more like Jesus. We'd love to have you come be part of it. Again, go to connect.dadtired.com. That's connect.dadtired.com, and we'll see you next week.